I'm Maddie Orton, and welcome to Author Imprint, the podcast. Now, as you know, we have an Author Imprint video series where we talk to writers about their latest works. But here on the podcast, we talk to authors about their art form and learn about the person behind the pen. So today I'm talking to Roz Chast, a cartoonist who's been published by The New Yorker since 1978. If you saw the January 29th magazine cover, she was the brilliant mind behind the quote-unquote cruelest month calendar cartoon. Chast also recently released her book, Going Into Town, A Love Letter to New York. Roz, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So Roz, you're both an author and an illustrator, which I think is pretty incredible. Well, thanks. Um, I think one thing about cartooning that's always appealed to me is the the possibility of writing as well as drawing that you don't have to choose between the two. Yeah, I think that that totally makes sense. And and storytelling too, I think is very much a part of both, I assume. Very much so. How did you get into to writing and illustrating? I think it's something I've just always done. It's always what I like to do from the time I was little. So I just kind of stuck with it, I guess. That's such a <laughs> modest answer for somebody who's, who's a published New Yorker cartoonist. I mean, it must have been challenging, right, to, to get to where you've gotten? Well, I was incredibly fortunate when I started my career in 1978. I had a very receptive editor at the New Yorker, um, art editor, who was Lee Lorenz, and then uh, William Sean, who was the editor-in-chief uh, of the New Yorker, and they were receptive to my work. So, you know, some of the people that are listening to this are probably aspiring authors, illustrators. How how did you get your foot in the door originally? Um, I found out when their drop-off day was. I called them up, and this was back in 1978. So you brought your work in in person, and I, at that point, was selling to the National Lampoon and also the Village Voice. And my goal, my secret in my heart goal goal of goals was to be a cartoonist for the Village Voice. And because that's, they published Jules Pfeiffer, Mark Allen Stamity, um, you know, these people whose work I would, Stan Mack. And my work was not really, I didn't see quite how it fit into any specific category. Um, It wasn't really like underground cartoons too much. It was certainly not like overground cartoons. It didn't look like anything in the New Yorker. Uh, And I thought, well, the Maybe the Village Voice, that would be my home. Hmm. Uh, And um, so I was selling to them. But then one day I just thought, well, my parents subscribed to The New Yorker and I should really, (laughs) you know, submit there. And uh, so I called them up and I found out their drop-off day, which was a Wednesday. And I gathered up all my stuff, and uh, which was probably about 60 cartoons. And I dropped it Hmm. off. And then you'd go back the next week. Um, to pick up your work, and that's what I did. I went back, and I looked inside the envelope for my rejection letter, you know, a little note, thank you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and instead, there was a note from Lee Lorenz, who was the art editor, to come back and see him. And I was really confused and surprised because this was not how the script in my head went. And so I went back and saw him, and he pulled out a cartoon and said, we're going to buy this cartoon, and I want you to start coming back uh, every week, which meant not just like dropping stuff off, but actually coming back in person, uh, because there was a, that was a a privilege that that you had to be asked to, to do that. And so I started going in. Wow. Every week. 
how, how did it feel to um to be a part of that like so quickly uh very disconcerting and wonderful and shocking and exciting yeah um and uh and strange because at that point um there was no other woman that was coming in on a regular basis. There was mm. a woman, Nareed Carlin, who came in um, occasionally. But other than that, it was all men, and they, most of them were considerably older than me. I was 23. Wow. And uh, it was kind of very anxiety-provoking. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because I was thinking that, you know, as as a cartoonist, it is a very male-heavy area isn't it well much more so back then i mean now there's lots of you know wonderful female cartoonists Mm -hmm. i mean not just at the new yorker but just in general what do you think um made your work stand out to them because you said you didn't really think it was like fitting of the new yorker originally i think that one thing that people sometimes do and i do it myself in my own way is think this is a perfect new yorker cartoon and that is almost like a recipe for disaster they never take the cartoon that i think is a perfect new yorker cartoon really really it's uh i think that they're like any of us you're looking to be surprised in some Hmm. way i think that maybe they were looking for something that was really different and i was definitely really different from what they were uh what they had in the magazine at that time and so how did you transition into longer form, like writing and drawing pieces? Um, well, it started actually probably years ago at The New Yorker when I started doing full page stuff that was more narrative. Hmm. You know, every week I submit a group of cartoons. And I like that system in a way because I can always put in cartoons that I want to do that I know they're never going to take, but like <laughs> I know that, that I need to do them. When they take one of those, it is just like the most gigantic thrill in the world because it's like, this is a cartoon I did because I really wanted to do this, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I know you're not going to take it because, you, you, you know, you don't use this kind of form or whatever. And so if they do, then I'm completely, you know, thrilled. So I started doing longer form stuff for the New Yorker, like full page mm-hmm. things. Um, but then the first really long form book I did was really the, the memoir about my parents. And how did that feel to, to make that transition? Um, it was it was difficult uh, at first because I had no idea how to organize the material. Huh. And um, my psychiatrist, actually, he said, um, well, have you thought of chapters? Um, it was just That's like... Such an innovative thought for a book. Yes, I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's like, I invented chapters. I don't know what I was thinking. I think I was thinking it had to be one, like instead of a long cartoon, that a one long one-page cartoon, it would be like a 250-page cartoon. But like, you know, well, even as you say that, I can see thinking that. Yeah, I had ne- I just could because you look at a book as a book. It's one yes, long it's narrative. Yes, it's one long narrative, and I had completely forgotten about <laughs> this idea of chapters. And once he said this, it was like then the book fell into place. Huh? Then I I knew. Then it was just it was just much easier to sort of move the pieces around. Once it wasn't like two hundred and fifty individual pieces, <laughs> it was like, well, these go. This is this. This is this. Then it's like you know, ten large pieces. So yeah, I had to learn about chapters. <laughs> and you also have sort of this added, um, I guess, either challenge or or luxury, depending on how you look at it. I guess of adding imagery. Do you find that that 
is easier for you or makes for, it harder for, for you? For me, it's necessary. I hmm. mean, I because I, that's how I think. I think in both words and the pictures, huh. as I think probably a lot of cartoonists do. Uh, there's this wonderful cartoonist, you know, who did Persepolis, Marjan Satrapi, and she wrote once about um, how if you can write and you can draw, why should you have to choose between the two? Hmm. And I think for me, that's one of the many reasons why I like the form of cartooning so much. And also that it doesn't always have to be writing plus drawing. I mean, you think about somebody like Linda Barry, who is very text heavy, but then there are people whose work is almost all uh, visual, hmm. you know, and they tell the story with pictures. And then there's blends. And then within the same comic, you can have boxes that are all text or boxes that are pictures. But I, I tend, for me, they're like very conjoined. It's some kind of conjoinedness of the yeah. words and the pictures. And they go, they go together. Do you find that you like doing like the individual cartoon more or less than doing a, a book? For example, we were here and check out the video if you haven't seen it already. But we were here talking about um, going into town, a love letter to New York, uh, which is a, a full book um, yeah. on New York that sort of is very much a marriage of, of the illustrations and the words. Um, I like both. I think what I like, what I actually love is um, being able to have a lot of different things to move between so I don't get bored. I mean, hmm. to me, the nightmare is doing like a four-panel strip for a newspaper that you have to do day after day after day. I mean, I like <laughs> the variety. Each form has its own you know, challenges, but I think that's what makes it really interesting. I mean, that's, anyway, that's what I like. We have a segment that we like to include in our in our podcast interviews called Short Stories. So okay. we're going to ask you the same five questions that we've been asking okay. everybody. Okay. Okay. One, what book made you a reader? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it could be anything, though. Maybe I The mean, Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a very, yeah. like, illustrated book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very visual. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my father read it to me, and I really, I loved it so much. I think he read it to me four times. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. How do you write or draw best? I like quiet, and I don't like natural light because it moves. Do you hunker down? You know, I think a lot of people. Yeah, kind of crawling into a little, like, bunker. Basically. How long can you do that for? Do you get frustrated at a certain point? Do you need uh, to be sometimes, inspired? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, then I got to have to go downstairs, get a cup of coffee, and, yeah. you know, putter around a little bit. But yeah. What did you do when you found out you were first being published for the first time? I think I, I called my mother. from yeah. the pay, There were pay phones in the lobby of the New Yorker. And I remember going over to the pay phone and, and calling her to tell her that I'd sold a cartoon to the New Yorker. What did she say? Do you remember? I don't remember. I think that she was happy. She wasn't like I don't think she knew quite what what that meant. What, what that meant, huh. you know. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists um, or authors? I think if this is something that you really, really want to do and you can't do anything else, then stay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. But if you can do anything else, then you should do that thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what are what are you reading right now? I'm reading. Uh, two books. I'm reading Beautiful Animals, and I'm also listening to Daniel Deronda, 
by George Eliot, and that's a fantastic book if you haven't read it. And, and you are working on your next book kind of sort yes, of, right? Are you I am. full guns already? I am. I'm working on a book about Brooklyn and about exploring parts of Brooklyn because I grew up there, but I really only knew my own neighborhood. Hmm. Um, and that's the way it was for most people growing up in Brooklyn, and it probably still is, that um, you, know, you know the boundaries of your neighborhood and you don't <laughs> go outside of them. And like, for instance, I had a friend in my building who moved to Canarsie, and I never saw her again. <laughs> You know, she was one of my best friends, but, you know, she moved to Canarsie, so, you know. she's gone forever. She's gone forever. I mean, according to Google Maps, it's like 4.7 miles away. (laughs) It's another world. It's another world. Canarsie was like not one neighborhood away. It wasn't adjacent (laughs) to ours. There were like a few neighborhoods in between. So, but I want to write about Brooklyn, not not Williamsburg, not Brooklyn Heights, not Mm -hmm. Park Slope. I want to write about, like, Canarsie. I want to write about Mill Basin, the places that nobody goes but of course, wait. every there's millions of people who live there. So like, so, <laughs> so many, hearing millions that, of people do go there. Yeah, but it's like not, not quite the same. like that Yogi Bear thing. Like, you know, do you still go there? No, I don't go there anymore. It's like too crowded. Nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Roz, thanks again for being here. Check out uh, Roz Chast's latest book, Going Into Town, A Love Letter to New York. If you haven't watched the video interview uh, with Roz, definitely check it out for more on her book. It is fantastic and adorable and very funny and super helpful. It, It is a guidebook as well. Next time on Author Imprint, the podcast. One of the people involved in the story, the agent who sold the script to a studio, said to me that what happened in this case happens in Hollywood once in 10 lifetimes. Becky Aikman with Off the Cliff, how the making of Thelma and Louise drove Hollywood to the edge. Let us know which authors you'd like to hear from and what you're reading. Follow me on Twitter at Maddie Orton, that's at M-A-D-D-I-E-O-R-T-O-N for the latest. And join the conversation by using hashtag author imprint. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.